0: welcome guys and a very special episode of kieran's corner today we have hall of fame cfl player nick lewis he's the host of the Lulu Logic podcast and ao sports athlete owned content uh, podcast how you doing nick thanks for coming on man this is huge i'm good i'm good how you doing yeah i'm good uh excited to have you on but with all the fans here watching without further ado it's time for kieran's corner
1: kick it and it and go. and I had to kick it off, I had to kick off, the put on I had to kick
0: off, Yes, guys, thanks for running through the intro once again. This is a very. Exciting ep- episode for me. We know a few months ago I spoke to first-round CFL draft pick Ferran Churchill, who's gone to my Toronto Argos. But today we have a man who made CFL history on multiple times, Hall of Fame slot back, Nick Lewis.
1: Appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I love the intro as well. I, I noticed you are a Patriots fan and you, you like some Joe Burrow. LSU fan, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, Joe Burrow is my guy, man. And uh, but, but let, let's talk about you for a second because you are—you recently got inducted into the CFL Hall of Fame, and yeah. you currently hold the most career pass receptions in the league. How, how does how does it feel getting inducted into the Hall of Fame after being in the CFL for so long? Felt good, man. It. Um, you, I guess you. Some people can say uh, that.
1: They expected you to be there, and um, but you never know when it's gonna happen. You never know how it's gonna happen. and just the whole process that went down was really good. so um very grateful, great, grateful for this. and you know it's it's been different. Um, I've been having some great conversations with some great people lately and and the best thing about it is is when uh, when it comes up and I get to tell them or or somebody else says it. so uh, definitely put you in a different class, right? different class so
0: it's awesome how was it when you obviously you played um football in america you played for southern arkansas which is a d2 university how big was the transition adjust into the different rule set in the canadian league or did you feel like it was it's football so you can just go go ahead straight away and play
1: yeah i didn't i didn't feel like there was a big adjustment i mean the motions i'd watched my cousin play tacoma who's on my last little logic podcast I'd watched him play for probably five years before, I think it was five or six years before I even got to the CFL. So watching him play arena football for that long, I got used to watching that motion and timing it up and doing different things like that. So that wasn't really new to me. And uh, so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was that much of a difference. Uh, the 20-second play clocks um, was probably the hardest change because you're going from 35, 40 seconds between plays, and now 20-second play clock.
0: But, you know, it was good. Yeah, it's, it, you played slot back, which a lot of uh, – even our English listeners might not know who. You're not familiar with the CFL. Slot back is basically like slot receiver and a little bit of running back almost. Um, yeah. Is that a position – Did they give you that position on day one or did they just see how you played in camp and then sort of gave you that position, seeing what your strengths and weaknesses were? Well, just looking at how the CFL set up, if you're the wide side receiver to
1: the field, um, usually it's a Canadian position. Um, If you're the, the wide side receiver to the boundary, usually it's someone that can run. And I wasn't a burner. I was about four or five, but I wasn't one of those guys that can just go out there and just outrun people up and down the field. So that position is usually for somebody that can run, uh, can get run by people, uh, because you do clear out a lot for the boundary slot. So I started kind of in that boundary slot position, and, and that was my role. And not knowing then what I know now is, is that position is really the – the position the key position if you look at all the the greats right it's from uh, G Roy and Milt um, Jermaine Copeland and all those guys Fred Stamps uh, Jamel Richardson like if you look at all of them they all played right there and that's where I kind of started at um, there and then I moved over to the field uh, to utilize a little bit more of my abilities um, you know four or five years into my career because you know, Cope was there, Cope and, and Rambo were to the boundary. So yeah, a slide back is just a mix of both, right? You you you're able to come in and protect. You're able to um you know take handoffs and do different things, get screen passes and um shovel passes and things like that. So
0: it's a nice little mix. Yeah of what you can do. I, I know you said you weren't exactly a burner but there's one thing you were very very good at and that was absolutely running people over anyone who's never seen you play, I think 90% of your highlights are you absolutely just mowing dudes down, trucking people. But you also have a great pair of hands as well, which is, you know, people sometimes underestimate that in wide receivers now, which sounds crazy to think, but a lot of people always look for guys who are speed burners uh, and who can make plays happen in open field. But the fact that you just had a safe pair of hands and were totally fine with running people over. And uh, my Toronto Argos fell victim to that a few times uh, you just trucking dudes over but we'll take a look at like your career stats here and let's start with the obvious one rookie of the year how how did it feel when you won that award? Felt great Um, I
1: I kind of felt like I had an inside track on the rookie of the year Uh, when they when they announced the eastern rookie that year it was a DB who had like three or four picks which is great he played great as well but um, having I think eight or nine touchdowns my rookie year and over a thousand yards and plus I was like uh, I think top three in punt return average that year uh, around 11.9 yards of return on punt return I felt like I had done enough uh,
0: to get the nod and and I did so it was great. And obviously you made CFO All-Star you were an East All-Star in 2016 a west all-star in 2006 2007 2010 2012 and then you're obviously a cfl all-star in uh 2010 to 2012 as well how was that when you first got named as a cfl all-star not long after winning rookie of the year
1: it was good uh you know in in 2005 i was actually the number two receiver in the league um it was it was kind of weird because I was first and then our the last defensive play of that season. Um our defense gave up a 44-yard touchdown pass to Jason Tucker. And that pass put him in the lead for the league uh for the leader that season. And when Jason Tucker led the league in receiving that season, um they came up because the media didn't like me back then, so they came up with this thing that only two slots and two receivers could win. Um as far as the East or West all-star. And when they did that, they took me out of it. And Milt Stegall, who had like 15 or 16 touchdowns that year, he was a West all-star and Jason Tucker was a West all-star. And I didn't make it West all-star. So then I couldn't be a CFL all-star either. So my best year in the CFL, as far as stat-wise
0: or as far as numbers, I didn't even make an all-star team. Which is ridiculous because through the first nine seasons in your career, you went over a thousand yards. Which yeah. Is, not many players can do that <laughs> at any level of football, let alone professional football. Did on that ninth year, when you hit that ninth year of a thousand yard receptions, how good did that feel knowing that you were, you know, probably the best receiver in the game at this point? Well, I was I was really going after Terry Vaughn, man. Um,
1: when I first got into the league, I was compared to Terry Vaughn as, you know, we had similar styles. Terry's a little shorter than I than I was, but also a little quicker and faster than I was as well. Uh, but we both broke tackles really well. And I was going after Terry Vaughn. He had 11 straight. And, you know, up until I broke my leg, I was on pace for my four straight 1,200-yard season. Because 2010, 11, and 12, I had over 1,200. And um, I think going into in my first I think those first nine years, I was still averaging, I think, eleven hundred and sixty yards a season. So I had really set the bar that I wanted my first year to be my worst year.
0: And um, we were on that pace. But then, yeah, then I broke my leg. Yeah, I was going to say your your sophomore season, especially thirteen hundred seventy nine yards, nine touchdowns. It's just I don't think people realize how ridiculous that is. But I wasn't an all star. Which is crazy to think about because (laughs) you put up pretty much the best numbers in the league that year, besides obviously Tucker, like you said. but Yeah, if that doesn't
1: happen, if we don't give up that touchdown, we were up like 44 to 13 or 15 or something like that. Uh, It was the last game of the season. Uh, There was only like 20 seconds left on the clock, and the defense was out there just messing around. Trey Young was a safety. I still mess with him today. I said, man, you know how much you cost me um by by giving up that touchdown on that post route at the end of the game he's like well because at the time when you're on defense you're thinking like i just don't want to get injured we got the playoffs next week um you know you're just out there and it doesn't matter if they score or not because they're not going to come back at this point but yeah we gave up that and yeah it kind of it kind of sucked at the moment but you know i love jason tucker he's an amazing
0: person amazing individual so it works out. Yeah. And then obviously you went on to win the Grey Cup, not not once, but twice in your career, both times with the Stampeders and for the first time in 2008. Now, if you can take me back to that game, what, what are the sort of standout moments that you remember from that first Grey Cup victory? I mean, I just remember uh just the whole day, right? I remember
1: my whole day just going through through everything, we were going against a tough Montreal team. Uh, talking to Chip Cox on my podcast not too long ago, just remembering how many Hall of Famers were probably in that game. When you when you look at Hank and, and Cornish, um, Joffrey Cope, um, you know, Charleston Hughes, and, you know, there's so many other guys on our side, but then you look at Montreal's side with Anthony Calvillo and Avon Coburn and uh, Jamel Richardson, S.J. Green. Uh, Chip Cox, um, John Bowman, and Anwar Stewart, and all these other you know top notch players, and it was just one of those things where they were the veteran team that's been there multiple times. We were the young team that everybody probably felt like we wasn't ready. We were probably still a year away. Huff had just got there, uh, but we were confident. We beat Montreal twice in a regular season. They swept the awards, and I, I remember everybody just like. You know, Sandro didn't win the special teams player. Hank didn't win the uh, MOP. So everybody was really focused on that. And uh, what a great game. Only two touchdowns scored, one vice team, and then we, had, we had five field goals. But a uh, great game to be a part of. My first great cup, I think I finished with 11 catches, uh, 422. And, um, you know, just we did enough to get the win, right? And after the game was over, once the clock struck zero, it was just like, man, this is real. This is real. I was
0: about to say, I can't imagine that feeling of when, you know, when the clock finally runs out and you are, a, you're a world champion. That must have been a, a crazy feeling. Just uh, how, how did it feel in the moment? The second the clock hit zero, was there any words or was it just sort of, you just sit there and took it all in? Yeah. You sit there and take it all in. Cause we
1: were up five and, and they ran a play and the guy catches the ball down the sideline. You're standing on the sideline. You see the clock ticking down. And I don't know. It was close to maybe giving him one more play, but the referee said it was over. Everybody goes wild. I run out to about the numbers. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to – I run. I end up running to the end zones and falling on my knees and, and just screaming. And it was just one of those moments where it just – everything feels right. You know, when – Uh, I always say what gives a championship value is the journey. Uh, You know, when people always say um, it hasn't sunk in yet, but the journey gives it the value. So all the failures you have, uh, losing in the first round in 2005 and 6, in 2007, losing in in the first round. So finally getting there and having that opportunity and getting in on the first opportunity when you get into the Grey Cup game um, it just made everything worth it. Like I needed to go through those things to get here today and um, and just validates everything, all your hard work and effort.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, obviously, we've had a postponed CFL season at this point. Um, yeah. But you were the BC Lions running back coach. Uh, how was it going from playing in the CFL to then coaching in the uh, CFL and then going to a completely different team for – realistically only the third time in your entire career was was it a big transition from playing to coaching or because you had a couple years out it was a bit easier
1: no it was coaching was what, it was my dream job it was one of the things that I've always grew up wanting to do uh the first time I coached I was in the 8th grade I coached my sister's 6th grade basketball team like a little league team and I've always had a passion for coaching and that was my that was my life set right i was i was going to go coach and when I come out of Southern Arkansas, it's not like I'm thinking I'm going to go play professional football. So to do that was a bonus and to, to set me on my path. But I've always had a, a fascination for, for the game and, and being able to compete within the game mentally. So coaching was nothing different for me. Um, I've been coaching. Uh, I've trained kids for 14 years now um i've i've been a part i've coached and and done different things so you know a lot of the receivers will tell you that i've i've coached them as well um i remember a lot of the young guys eric rogers and uh even when marquay mcdaniels got to calgary and, and um kamar jordan you know all those guys i've, I've always poured into everything that i know even in Mont- I mean, yeah even in montreal with sj and um and B.J. Cunningham and all those guys, man, it's just been a it's been a blessing. So to get to to B.C. and have the opportunity not only to coach running backs, which I wanted to do, uh, because I know the outside game, I know the pass game. I wanted to learn more on the inside game um, and to just complete my knowledge on, on coaching so I could say I know everything and not just have an idea or a clue. But and I was able to do that. But. To coach uh, Brandon Rutley, which we were teammates for three years in Montreal, and then he's over there with me in BC, was uh, was great. You know, uh, John White uh, is an amazing running back. You know, and Jamel Lyles and, and the rest of those guys, and you know Mario and Mac, man, it's David Mackey is one of the freakish athletes I've ever seen. This dude is, you know, Canadian running back, fullback. He can catch the ball. Chris Cooley, like, is a tight end. Uh, he can run the ball. He he, he hurdled somebody, and it was amazing. Like, everybody went off. He comes to the sideline, and he's like, that one's for you. And it, it, it was just an amazing feeling to be around these guys. You know, you, you take a, a Mario Villamizer late in the draft, and he comes in and he works hard every day. And then when Mackey um, has to go down with his knee, he steps in as a rookie. And and continues to push and push and push. And he had prepared all year for that moment and he was able to go out there and do it. And that's those are the special things. Right. Those are as a coach or as a you know, as a kind of a mentor, um, those are always the special things is when you can pour in other people and then you can see them go execute it and go go do it. So I'll 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 definitely
0: that's that's my favorite. I was gonna say I've like I've coached at the high school level just you know, I'm g- it's it's that point where being taken seriously in America as a young Englishman is a little bit harder with American football. But it, what you said perfectly encapsulates it. When you see one of your guys make a play, like if I'd been working with a corner on like, hey, look, this guy's going to try and cut across you, just stick with him, and then they bat a ball down or they get an interception and you show them how to make a play perfectly and then they do that play. That's one of the best feelings out there. I think, I think maybe even an equivalent to scoring a touchdown or scoring a goal in football or something. So it's definitely a great feeling. And clearly you, you're very passionate about wanting to remain in coaching. I, hey, if you want to come over to the Toronto Argonauts <laughs> and coach our wide receivers, we've had... A little bit of a problem. I think we've skirted the cap <laughs> this season, if you see the <laughs> signings we've done. <clears throat> um, but obviously, you, your first 10 years are at the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, but then you got signed by the Montreal Alouettes, originally to a one-year deal, and then they extended you. H- how How did it feel moving to a different team after you just spent a decade with the team that drafted you?
1: Well, uh, you know, 11 years in Calgary uh, was great um, to be able to accomplish what I accomplished in Calgary. And I always said I'd be in Calgary as long as I upheld my end of the bargain and they upheld their end of the bargain. And, and that's what happened. And, and breaking the leg in 2013, um, had a lot of issues in 2014 with injuries. Uh, Been one of the top, one of the highest paid guys on the team. You understand if you're not able to go out there and compete at that high level. And, um, you know, I've had conversation with Dave where Dave Dickinson, the head coach, and he would be like, you know, you were open a lot. It's just that Bo Bo was his first year really starting. And there was a lot of times I didn't get to practice or when I did practice, I couldn't go out there and just practice hard because I had to make it to the game. So Bo didn't really trust it. Right. And there was times where I was open on plays and I just didn't get the ball. And that was a trust factor uh between Bo and I because you know as a quarterback you have to trust your receivers and when you're young you need those practice reps and and that's what I wasn't able to provide to to ease him a little bit but then there was games where I did there was games I went out and put up 9,800 yards and um did those things but I wasn't doing it consistent consistently and uh missed I think five or six games that year as well uh with my injury so um it just had to come to an end, but we were discussing coaching. Um, Saskatchewan, um, I discussed with them about coming in and coaching receivers, and then Jim Pop gave me a call and, and asked me if I wanted to keep playing. Uh, I had to take a couple of days to think about it because, honestly, after the 2014 Great Cup, I walked into that stadium thinking this was probably my last game. And so, you know, to to get my mind wrapped around uh, going back out there and and doing it again. But then you think about, man, I'm about to go play with John Bowman. I'm about to go play with Chip Cox. I'm about to go play over here. I get to learn from Anthony Calvillo and and do all these different things. And, you know, Fred Stamps is there. And S.J. Green is there. And uh, they had Tyrell Sutton and, and Steph Logan and Rutt. And it's like, why would I miss this opportunity to go suit up with some great athletes? Right. So it was um, it was a definitely a, a, an eye-opener. I thought it was going to be a one-year deal. Um, but, you
0: know, we had a little success and,
1: um,
0: yeah, turned into three. Oh, well, I was going to say, even then your 2016 season, 1100 yards, free touchdowns. You, you could still play. I think it was very clear. You were st- still the same Nick Lewis that had done, you know, nine consecutive thousand yard seasons that you did with Calgary. So clearly you could still compete at the highest level of the game and coming back from a broken leg. That's that's. This is crazy. Not a lot of players can come back from a broken leg and then have another 1,000-yard season, even a couple years removed from that. It's a great feat to have. But there's one thing that I don't think enough people talk about in the CFL, and it's the fact that how much opportunity players have because they've now done the international draft, the CFL international draft, and we don't see that much in the NFL. They've got the NFL Academy in London, but outside of that they don't give the same opportunities to athletes that the cfl does do you do you see this international draft and the international programs that open up really expanding the cfl into something that isn't just in canada or do you think they're just gonna maybe make more canadian teams as they bring in more and more international talent well i think there's um there's a big growth spot right so
1: um, there's got to be growth. Uh, I've seen the growth in Canadians from the time I got into the league until now. Um, getting these opportunities, given having a goal um, when you're in one of these other countries, and you can say, okay, we have a partnership with the CFL. This is my goal now. Right? It's not the goal to play on the, the best team in, in Switzerland or Austria. It's now to make it to the CFL. And you're going to start challenging yourself and you're going to see what the prerequisite is. But right now, I think it's half baked. Right. It's a half baked idea. Um, You have a global draft. You want to put some people on the team. But you notice so many kickers and punters are are chosen. But we I think if you want that to happen, you have to invest in them. Right. CFL is looking for it as a way for people to invest in the CFL. For TV rights and different things like that, it improves the money, the income, the visibility of the CFL, which is great. But now the CFL needs to invest in these athletes to improve their level of play. Because as we've seen last year or in 2019, I think only three or four guys actually got on the field and played in that from their international teams. Right. That's what you need. Right. You need guys on the field, not just on the roster. And if they're taking American spots right now, there's there's nobody that I've seen in the international draft that can come over and just take an American spot.
0: Yeah, I think right. you know they're fostering talent, but maybe not developing it in the ways that they should. If that if yeah. that makes sense, like. But obviously, there was the big, the big talk about the potential XFL merger. Did you feel that like was good or bad for the CFL?
1: I, I think it just depends on how you look at it. If the CFL is looking for money and they're able to get money, they win. Um, if the XFL is looking for validity and they get they get that, they win. So it, it just depends on how you look at everything. Um, if it's a supportive system of each other, which the XFL needs talent, right? There, the lack of quarterbacks and the lack of good, like really, really good quarterbacks, hurts football like it's such a crucial position and if you watch the xfl they had some players played really well and they had a couple quarterbacks but if the xfl comes in and takes bo levi mitchell or some of the top quarterbacks in the cfl the cfl now begins to struggle so how does this work how does this partnership work is it just the the great cup champs play the xfl champs And then how much do you pay them? The Grey Cup check hasn't changed in 20 years. So then how much do you pay them to play an extra game that means nothing?
0: And then if they get hurt in that game, where's their security? Yeah, that's that's a point. I People don't think about that as well, because obviously the NFL just added the extra game, and you see a lot of people like the Twitter Warriors and stuff saying, oh, it's only one extra game. But they don't realize how physical football uh, is. Like – Yeah, you see the padding, you see the helmets, and there's a misconception there, but football is a very physical sport. I I played a little bit myself. I had my bell rung a couple times. Like, I'm 5'9", 180, and, like, soaking wet. So, like, (laughs) these games are hard on anyone's body.
1: The NFL's downhill. The NFL's a downhill game, and that, like, for linemen, the O-line, D-line, linebacks, running backs, that's a lot of pounding. We had a guy... Um, who wore a special helmet with some monitors in it. and it recorded basically the effect of 33 minor car crashes in one CFL game, right? So if you have 33 minor car crashes in, in one game, and the CFL's game is totally different, it's a way less physical at the point of attack, right? You'll get some big hits, you'll get some things, but it's so spread out and it's more stretch. Right. If you are looking outside zones and stretch zones and different things on scheming wise, where the NFL is straight downhill, inside zone, a little stretch and everybody's pounding each other from boom, 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 every play. Right. So then that's what's going to happen. And and you look at all these brain injuries and things like that. And it's got to be. You have to really consider, you know, when you're upping this one game. What are you doing to counteract that? Are you putting more money into and it's not just concussions, right? People don't talk about concussions. You don't have to have a concussion. It's about brain damage. Like what are you doing to put it into brain damage research so that you can slow down that or recover from that brain damage that you're getting? right? I've never I'll never tell somebody not to play football because of it because you can fall in a sinkhole, you can get in a car wreck. and and whiplash into your airbag and have the same amount of brain damage or worse, right? So you can't protect yourself from life, but at the end of the day, you have to be smart and understand if you're going to play more, you need to protect your brain. And the only way you can do that is through brain recovery and you can expand your brain, right? So uh, I've been doing stuff like that for the last two years and I'm working on uh, some stuff uh, with uh, a company called Invicta VR for for athletes and, and turning and, and, you know, bringing brain um, change into the uh, VR world. So all that different stuff, man, is, is what's needed, right, if you're going to do those things.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's talked about enough, especially by fans, is that your body goes through hell playing football. It's a very tough, very physical sport. And we we talk about all the time at the college level when these universities always say, are. Oh, we can't pay players or they get paid in scholarships or whatever. And it's like, you don't realize these guys are playing for free. And one, you know, one wrong hit on a snap or, you know, they get their ankle snagged by a turf monster or just any of these small things and their career is gone. Their scholarship is gone. And then where are they? Uh, So I think it's very important that pro teams as well, they need to have – uh, a plan for athletes leaving the sport because you've transitioned very well in, in, into, you know, fr- from a player to then a coach, but you've also got a lot of business ventures outside of it. But not all players do that. Not all players have those ideas or have, have even just, you know, the life experience to go out there and save their <laughs> money correctly and start business ventures and keep building on themselves after they've left the sport because some guys will just feel, Without purpose, almost. We see it with a lot of players who hang on too long in the same sport. Do you think it would be very important for the CFL to set something up for players when they retire? Maybe, you know, giving them a small pension or, or, or something like that. If they take a percentage of their earnings and give them a pension when they retire, or just anything they can do to help players um when they leave. What do you think is the best way to approach that? Education. You know, I think it's on the players.
1: Um, you know, I always go back to never believing I was going to be a pro athlete, right? When you're a D2 walk on, it's not like, oh, I'm about to go play fo- pro football for 14 years and, and go in the Hall of Fame. So um, my mindset was elsewhere. And and for me, I've always been an entrepreneur and I've always been able to go out and say, OK, this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to create. And that's what I've been able to do outside the game. And um, I walked away from Montreal with one year left on my contract. and a lot of guys play until they can't play anymore because they fear what are they going to do next? Or, you know, you've prepared for these moments and like you work so hard for a three year career on average. And once that's over, you're, you're lost because you're like, I put so much effort into this. Sometimes you're disappointed, like I can still play and I'm still not playing, you know, and that disappointment can turn into anger and, and different things and all these emotions that play within you. But you got to be educated. I, th- I think that you can't give anybody anything. You you have to educate people. And once you educate them on, you know, what's next, right, setting up their next venture, setting up their next big thing is, is the best thing you can do. And I've been fortunate to use um, my platform and, and to be able to use uh football is a career to get around a lot of ceos of companies and a lot of people that i can call friends that are now in my network right when we're doing events i was able to talk to different people and hang out with different people and um it was just in my personality so you know they say you you pretty much make with you know accumulation of what the five people around you are, are making right so i'm able to i was able to improve that area and and by doing that it really helped me in this next venture which is ao sports
0: i was about to say that's what i like about ao sports is that it's something for athletes who but i i think that maybe comes from like you said being a d2 walk-on you knew that you know the next game wasn't given and the next contract extension wasn't given, and, and you, you always had to have a backup plan. And that's, you know, look, we, every, <laughs> even if you've not come to this video not seeing Nick play, you've got to go watch him play. This dude was a baller. Like, some of the plays you made, you just... I I, I wouldn't have wanted to tackle you. I, I say that much. Like, I know I'm not a huge dude or whatever, but I still would not have wanted to tackle you ever. I'd have got my ass run over for sure. But... That I think that is from that walk on mentality. You knew that you had to have something ready, uh, for when your career finished. And I don't think all players, especially guys who grew up being the best guy on their team, being the highly scouted, being the best guy on their college team, and then they flame out and maybe don't have a backup plan. Is that what you want to achieve with AO Sports? Make sure that guys who you know don't leave the sport too late, don't get too hurt, but also bringing in guys who you know have talent and you know can do stuff outside of football. Do you think it's important to get a lot of former athletes to come in and, you know, take their side of things to take AO to the next level? Yeah, of course. And and for me, like I said, the
1: educational pieces, right? Um, AO is just going to be accumulation of, of athletes that come from different backgrounds, diff- all walks of life, men and women, that can come in and want to provide content, right? So when you're looking in the content space, there's a lot of great athletes that provide content, but they're not getting paid for it properly, right? YouTube is not a great monetization system. And so we're, we're coming in with a fresh look, um, giving athletes 100% ownership of their content and allowing them to make even more money than they're making on any other platform. And it's not even close. Right. So able to use your use your following that follows you to support you now. And now you can build something that can last so much longer by getting your point across and being who you want to be and um, and improving your social impact. Right. We always talk about a lot of different things, but the social impact is key. Right. How do we affect the communities that we're living in and the neighborhoods we're in in a positive way? And we have to improve our social impact we have to help people and and I just think today's time is proven what needs to happen right with with everybody on the virus and um, different things going on it's time that people can really come together and and just help each other right so as athletes we need to come in and help our communities that we're in and we need to be able to just provide great content and and live free right uh, of thought but to be, to be able to do that is, is going to be the key, and AO is going to be that platform. And we've met with some great people, and um, I'm looking forward to this summer's launch and, and all the good things that we're going to have come out of AO Sports.
0: Yeah, it's great to see something like that as well, a platform for athletes, and they, they can speak their mind on issues they want to talk about. And I, I like that you're giving them that free reign to, you know, make content and get paid well for it. And we saw with like your podcast with the Invicta VR CEO and uh, what was it? Javon Johnson, you have interesting conversations with these guys. And I think you ask some questions to them that, that maybe take their guard down a little bit and they reveal quite a lot of information to you, which like you said, you're putting yourself around CEOs and stuff. And that's a very smart move uh, moving forward. What, but, what you know, your- you say that you say that real
1: quick. But the thing is, is that like this interview, like I'm a very open person. I'll talk about anything, anytime. But a lot of guys won't. But then when they sit down with me, they're able to open up a little bit more because they know I've been through their same shoes. They know I understand it. So when we have those conversations, it's more of a conversation than an interview. And and you're having a good flowing conversation that allows them to kind of open up on some of the things that they've been through and, and some of their challenges. Right. So, and that's what we just want. Right. So we, we just
0: wanted to be um, organic and, and that's the best part. Well, that's what I said to you before the show, like how nervous I was to, to speak to a guy I watched <laughs> football for so many years and you immediately put me at ease and you know, it it flows just like a conversation and, and it's just fun to talk. I'm, I, I obviously want to ask you questions because I'm crazy interested. Um, Let's in, go in all the ventures you got going, but the the one question I will, I'm only going to ask two more questions, but obviously we're going to talk some more. But how did you feel when you, you know, when when you stepped up and got inducted to the CFL Hall of Fame? How how did that feel? Because that's a huge moment. Yeah, um, you know,
1: my mom passed away uh, three months ago, and it was one of those things that she really wanted for me. Uh, she was a huge inspiration of in my career. And, you know, from the moment Matt Dunnigan, who called me and, and got to tell me the news and share the news with me, the moment he told me it was one of those things where I instantly thought of my mother, right? Her impact and everything that she had done and, and how she, I could just see her dancing now and, and clapping her hands. And, you know, it was just one of those things where it was very special. Right. And this is this, you know, this puts you in a to say you're a professional athlete. You're part of the one percent. But to say you're a Hall of Famer is is even smaller. Right. So three hundred and sixteen, I believe now CFL Hall of Famers. I think I was a twenty second first ballot Hall of Famer. So it's a very rare class to be in. And when you think when I sit back and think of all of the great players that I got to play on the same team as that aren't in this group. And it's just like, I can't believe I'm in this group. And when I'm sitting on a a zoom call with Marcus Allen or sitting on a zoom call with Damon Allen or all these people, it's just, it's just very special to be able to, to share that moment, right. To share that, you know, it's just so, Uh, you know it's hard to explain
0: it's 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 such a great honor i was about to say it must have been incredibly emotional i mean yeah not many athletes can say they play professional football they're not you know not even close to that number can say they're in the hall of fame and obviously you only played for two teams your whole career but would you have preferred to have finished everything out in Calgary or were you happy that you got to go to the Alouettes and sort of, you know, experience a different city in Canada for a few years? Well, I, I love my
1: time in Montreal. I think, um, I think it was needed. I was voted captain for the first time in my career in Montreal. Um, I've I've enjoyed my relationships that i built in Montreal. Um, I think Jim Pop, who I still talk to on a good basis now and, uh, for bringing me in and, uh, the wedding halls were amazing. And just to, to share that time, you know, be a part of Vernon Adams career when he started out, uh, Cato and, and all these guys, man, it's just, I feel like my life is a, is a true blessing because I got to be a part of so many young guys and truly just get to work with them and and talk to them. And, uh, I remember in training camp (laughs) my first year in Montreal, I'm helping a young guy when we were watching one-on-ones and I'm helping him like set up and different stuff. And SJ taps me on the shoulder and says, don't forget about me, bro. I was like, I'm like, SJ, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're like, you're, you're a perennial all-star. And he's like, I, I, I want the help too. And at that moment, it was something that really stood out to me. And um, yeah, I got to be what I got to be to those guys, what cope and Rambo uh, were to me, right. To be able to, Uh, pour into those guys help them uh, to do that but you know you don't get here by yourself it's a lot of sacrifice from a lot of people Um, it's a lot of great guidance from a lot of older teammates and and teammates that that allow you to do this so it's great
0: I was about to say that must have been a nice moment when a a guy who is as good as he is then comes to you and is like hey and any tips appreciated you know, you got voted captain, so obviously the guys had so much respect for you. Um, how did how did it feel becoming captain for the first time in your career? It felt great. You know, I
1: didn't expect it. Um, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, you just go to work every day, right? You go to work every day. Um, you know, people always say, oh, that's Nick. They know me. I'm going to be the same on the field, off the field. Um, I like to have a good time. I like to, to joke around. But when it's time to work, we work. And I go out there and I work hard and that was one of the best parts with suiting up with, with Fred Stamps and SJ, man, they, they were just like and Rambo and, and, and Thailwell and all those guys, Brett Ralph, like they come to work and, and we put it out there every day. We go, we go run around, we get it in. And um, yeah, it was, it's just a true blessing to, to be a part of so many great receivers and um, to be a part of their careers. And yeah, it was a truly a blessing. And you know, I think that's the best part for me is that coming from a Division II school and, and you get to training camp, you just want to fit in, right? You want people to know who you are when, when Wayne McGerty's there, I've watched Wayne at Texas and Albert Connell, and then my roommate Salacio Sanford, who is who had won like the uh, the best player in NFL Europe award. And, you know, he played in the NFL for the Bears and played arena football. And and here I am coming out of Division Two school and it's like, okay, well, I gotta wake up every day to compete. To show that I belong, right?
0: Yeah, that's you know that that must have been surreal as well. Getting to the league and just being around so many greats immediately. But when you moved to Montreal, my understanding is that that's a ma- majority French-speaking city. Was that kind of a big adjustment, or did or is it enough English speakers there that it, did, it didn't really make too much of a difference?
1: Uh, it's a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, thank God for uh, Google Translate. Uh, right? And you can just hold the picture up and it translates it for you or uh, hold your phone up with the camera and it translates everything for you. But between that and, and taking the Metro, right? Taking the uh, the Metro every day to get to the to stadium, Olympic Stadium where we practiced and, and everything. So that was the biggest adjustment I was used to driving to the stadium and I never took my car to Montreal. So I just took the Metro to the stadium and back and Ubered everywhere else. So that was the only adjustment, really, in Montreal. The speaking wasn't
0: bad. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I learned a little bit of French at school, but immediately forgot it the second the second I left <laughs> school. So I, I, I'll be useless as well. But um, how was the? Because um, we always see NFL players talk about, like, you know, they get mobbed by fans and stuff. How how are CFL fans? I feel like they're major a bit more. Maybe not at games, but like outside of games, I think they're maybe a bit a bit more respectful than the average, like crazy NFL fan. Do you have any cool oh, fan yeah. interactions from the CFL? Oh man, a lot of a lot of fan
1: interactions, man. Uh, eating at the at a restaurant and after you eat your meal, the the chef will come out and ask for an autograph or ask you how, how the meal was and things like that. It's real chill, real cool. Uh more in Canada, you hear like I'm walking in a mall or something, you'll hear somebody say, hey, there goes Nick Lewis or something like that. But they don't really bother you and, and things like that. But it's cool. I'm always uh, that's one of the things about me. I've always been fan engaging and, and I love hanging out with fans and, and talking to people about different things. So I've never been afraid of that. I guess if it if it did get to that level to where everybody kind of gravitates to you and it becomes a crowd, then it becomes something too much.
0: But, yeah, when it's only a couple of people, it's always great. Yeah, and this this question I like I like to ask people, and, you know, some people don't know how to answer it, but this is the last proper question I'm going to ask you. And um, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I would like to be remembered not by
1: football. I'd like to be remembered by what I gave back and, and who I was and, you know, positivity and being able to push forward Life, right? Where it's like a everything's a relay. When you get the baton, when you're a kid, and you grow up, and you got to hand it off sometime. And when you hand it off, what are you handing off? And are you in a better position? Is your family in a better position? Are you in a better position? You know what? Where where are you handing this baton off to the next one to run that race? Right? And are we advancing life? Are we advancing people? And I think that's the biggest thing: is how can you make your biggest impact? And If I always say if my legacy is football, then I failed, right? But if I can use football to create a bigger legacy to help way more people, then that's when I truly succeeded.
0: Yeah, I love that answer. You've just – you know what I mean? Everyone knows you as a football player, of course, but you realize that you're using football to leave a massive positive impact off the field, which – You know, I I think a lot of fans and even some athletes don't realize that how important that actually is. So that's you know, it's probably one of the best answers I've ever been given to that question. I throw it out there because it's like quite a deep question, but but it's so true,
1: man. Like what do you you know, what do you give people? Right? That's why I love I've never turned down an interview of somebody's podcast, right? Because I understand the possible impact of me coming on here um that helps you. Uh, but I also understand me getting my message across to help people help people right becoming good people do the good thing be the good person right so you know, I appreciate you sharing your your audience with me and you know, I just want to come on and and just shed the light over what it should be about right we use we use sports as entertainment and I understood I was an entertainer, right but i I also understood that. I have to carry this on throughout the rest of my life. And you know, being a hall of famer is great, but I've always thought about the hall of fame of life. Like what does the hall of fame of life look like and and how do I get to that? How do I become that to where, you know, nobody's perfect. I make mistakes just like everybody else, but how do you get to the hall of fame of life and how do you how do you truly impact so many people that when you when you leave this earth, people can look at you and say, "You know what? the first thing I think about of Nick Lewis is this, and it's not, oh, he was a hell of a football player. I
0: was about to say, you want to be remembered as Nick Lewis, the man, not Nick Lewis, the, the slot back. You you want yeah. people to speak. Man, that's a great answer. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. That's one of the most insightful answers I've ever heard. Because a lot of people just talk about, oh, I want to be remembered as a great entertainer. I want to be remembered as a great coach or whatever. But you, you want to be remembered as a great man. I think that's very yeah. important. And, and maybe some people and they can say, it. and they can say,
1: but he was a hell of a football player too. You know that would be nice, but you know you want, you really want to be able to move that forward, right? I played football and I entertained you. I was great at doing that, but now let's let's feed you what you need. I've got you to the tent of the circus.
0: Now it's time to give you everything you need. Exactly, which you know brings me on to the final point of the show, really. We, we've talked about your other business ventures and your podcast and stuff, but now before we close the show out, t- tell us what you've got coming up. Give us out your social media handles, where we can find your work, where we can connect with AO Sports, where we can connect with you online.
1: Yeah, so um, my personal... Is Nikel18 on Instagram and Twitter, Nick Lewis, Nik Lewis on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, right now, my Facebook is full. Um, I have like a 200 or 300 person wait list. It's been like that for years now. Uh, but you can follow me there, the Lulu Logic group, L E W L E W L O G I C, one word. Uh, that Facebook group. It's a positive group with positive people. Post anything negative, you know, I, I erase it twice. I delete you. But um, so far for a year now, it's been just a positive group. People can share what they're doing. People can share everything about, you know, their great day. We've had some challenges and stuff, so that was great. And AO Sports TV is the is on across the board. AO Sports TV on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on. Uh, Instagram and on Facebook group, you can go to AO Sports TV and just see everything that's going on AO Sports. Um, we're looking to launch this summer and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be giving away fan dream trips. So, whatever your dream trip is, you're going to be able to win dream trips, so much more exclusive merchandise from our uh, athletes. One of the cool things about AO, one of my board members is a man by the name of Gerald Smiley. And he was uh, drafted by the Texas Rangers at a high school. And he just started his own company called Chip In. And Chip In an incentivized giving app. So you're going to be able to pay your monthly subscription for AO through Chip In. And you will receive offers from all of our sponsors. So if Nike's our sponsor, you're getting an offer every month you pay your membership. So if we have 20 sponsors, you'll get 20 offers. Right. How cool is that? And then we're putting on events. We're doing different things. So you're gonna get a lot of, you're gonna get a lot of benefit for a membership that's under ten dollars a month, right? And that's why we want to keep it to where we're helping people, and we want people to be a part of our community because we're gonna have a lot of fun in this community. You're gonna be connected to athletes, winning exclusive merchandise as well by paying your memberships and and taking those dream trips. So we're looking to have a lot of fun with everything, and um, yeah, we're growing our talent roster every day. We're on the phone with. More and more athletes, and um, it's a lot of fun. To, it's a lot of fun to sit down and just talk to athletes about business and talk to athletes about where we're going. And uh, right now, we're on a great path and a great trajectory to to get that done. So, and we're not excluding media members either, right? So, we're bringing in media members that are going to be a part of this as well. It won't just be athletes; it'll be sports content creators as well. So, yeah, anything is possible at this point.
0: Well you know we'd always love to contribute and and bring more eyes to this as well as we can. But for me, I am Kieran the Himbo F10Y On the Twitter, you can catch me shouting at Steelers fans, but also head over to fulltenyards.com forward slash shop to get your hands on the draft guide. All physical copies are gone now, guys, but we still have digital copies available for purchase. I will send you a copy to your email as well, Nick, because I think that'd be something interesting if if you've got some time to read. Uh, But from everyone here at Full 10 Yards, all links down below, my name has been Kieran. This has been Nick Lewis. And we'll see you in the next one.
1: Kick it go, kick it kick it go. had to